Over these last few weeks, we've been talking about superheroes, and superheroes are regular people who give up something, who trade something for the gospel and to make an impact in the world. And so all of us here are regular people, day in, day out, the grind of going to work, to going to school, and doing the things that we have to do, and that all of us have the opportunity and the potential to be superheroes within the faith. And so over the last few weeks, we've been talking about some of those superheroes, Mary and Martha and Joseph and Joshua, and today we're going to look at the story of Daniel. And some of you know that story. If you've grown up in and around church, you've seen it, or maybe some of you your parents were, you were lucky enough, your parents got you veggie tails, right? And so you saw the veggie tails were the bunny, the bunny, oh, don't eat the bunny, you know that one? That, and so uh, that's the story we're going to be talking about today. So maybe some of you will break out your veggie tail tapes or DVDs and go watch that. But so today we're going to be thinking about the idea of Daniel and what it means to be resolved. Last week we talked about this idea of being strong and very courageous, of being resolute and taking a stand. And then today, that story of Daniel with a key word for Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the key word for them is resolve, and we'll get to that here in just a moment. So the story of Daniel is this, in this book of Daniel, right after Ezekiel, Daniel is there, he's telling his story, and he tells the story of as he's a young man, he's a young aristocrat, that he was a part of the nation of Israel. And so at this point, the nation of Israel was still a nation, even though they were a vassal state, vassal state of Babylon. And Babylon, Babylon was in charge of them. They, the Israelites paid extra taxes and had to do whatever the king of Babylon wanted to do if they wanted to, to remain to keep their culture, to remain to worship Yahweh and to keep their temple and to do the way of life that Israelites, that Jewish people had come to know and understand and appreciate and that made them distinctive as Jewish people, as people of Yahweh. Well, at some point early on, King Joachim, which was the king of Israel, decided, hey, I wanted to do something a little bit different and not pay taxes to King Nebuchadnezzar. And so King Nebuchadnezzar came in and made an example of the nation of Israel. And he came in and he wiped out their temple. He took everything of worship and of value out of their temple. And he also went into the place and he said, hey, I want the best of the best, the cream of the crop of your students, the best and smartest aristocrats. And so they literally gave him an SAT or an ACT test. And those that rose to the top, they got to go to Harvard and Babylon. And so here these guys are, they're being sent off, the best of the best. The places of worship have been have been um, raided and everything that had to do with the culture and what it meant to be a Jew in Israel was disbanded. And so here we are with the story of Daniel. And Daniel is one of these young men that go to Babylon. He scored well on his SATs and his ACTs. And so one of the first things that the chief counselor did, the chief educator did, was he, along with King Nebuchadnezzar, he gave Daniel and the other guys some new names. And so there's some stories behind that and why they would want to do that. But if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Daniel chapter 1 and look at verses 6 through 8. Now, verse six and seven, verse six and seven will not be on the screen, but I'll read it to you and you can hear it. Verse six of Daniel chapter one, it says this. Among these, these well-trained men, these wise young men, among these were some from Judah, and their names were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, which means God is my judge, he gave the name Belteshazzar, which now means Baal, the prophet Baal, is my life. 
And so he's giving this new name, this new identity to Daniel. And to Hananiah, he gave the name Shadrach. And to Mishael, he gave him Meshach. And to Azariah, he gave Abednego. Now look at verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself. Now this is an interesting an interesting little phrase that Daniel would include in here on his story is that Daniel would decide and his guys together would resolve to not defile themselves because of the food. Now, one of the things that happens, number one, you just saw they get new names. And so with these new names, what he's doing is he's trying to create King Nebuchadnezzar is trying to create a new loyalty for the people. They have new loyalty. Now they're Babylonians. They're not Israelites anymore. Now they're loyal to the king. So he gives them new names And then the next thing that he does is he actually gives them food and wine from the king's table, which you would say, hey, that's the best food in town. I mean, if you want want the best food, you're going to go to the king's table and eat from the king's table. And so the king says, I want the best for these young men or what is perceived as the best for these young men. So he feeds them food and wine or wants to feed them food and wine from his people. And so Daniel and his guys resolve and say, we are not going to go forward with, or we desire to not eat of this food. What's an interesting Why would they resolve not to? Because here's the deal. They're being removed from the nation of Israel. They're being removed from their Jewish roots. And so not only is this new king trying to give them new names and new identities, he's also trying to culturally move them into and remove anything that makes them look and think and act like a Jewish person, like a person of Yahweh. And one of the first steps is to change their diet. Because one of the things that distinguished Jewish people from all other people, not only is it their names, but also the fact that they had a specific special diet. And so when people would would eat with them and dine with them, they would recognize that they had a unique diet and a special diet that God had set forth for them to set them apart. And so here Daniel and his friends or in an important part in their life story and in their faith story where they could have easily stepped over the line and said, listen, king is providing us the best food and, and everyone else is eating at the king's table. All of the other smart guys here at Harvard are, are eating of the same food. However, we have along the journey from Israel to, to Babylon, the four of us have gotten together and said, listen, we want to remain our distinctiveness as followers of Yahweh. We want people to understand and to see us that yes, we're in the Babylonian kingdom and yes, we're young aristocrats and yes, we're being educated and yes, we're in the house of the king, but we still worship Yahweh. And the very first way that they can do that is to resolve to stand strong and to literally have courage to resolve to stand strong and to not step over the boundaries that would make them distinctive, not distinctive from everyone else. And so here, Daniel and his friends, his brothers in arms together resolve this is a specific call to stand strong and to push forward with a conviction when everyone else around you is literally falling by the wayside. It's an interesting picture for us to, to, to stand strong and to resolve is that we are so convicted by this truth, this specific principle of doing life, that we're convicted by it, that we're going to stand strong, even if it means that we're going to give up our life and we're going to give up our freedom because we believe this is so true and makes us distinctive. There are several different ways that culture attempts 
to attack us, especially as followers of Jesus. And, and the first way that we're attacked by culture is by our loyalty. The question of who do we worship and how do we worship? Who, who is it that we as Christians worship? And so this is a constant dialogue that we're having. And so there are questions of loyalty. And so the very first thing that they're presented with is this change of name is that Daniel and them are saying, they're trying to tell them, hey, we're changing your loyalty. We're changing even who you worship. We want you to assimilate into us. And so by King Nebuchadnezzar and the chief officials of the day, by changing Daniel's name to Belshazzar and, and making them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he's trying to challenge their loyalty to who they worship. And the same is true for us. Day in and day out, there's opportunities for us to choose who we're going to worship. That people ask us questions or we're in situations where it's obvious to other people that if we make this choice, that we're not loyal to the Jesus that we say that we follow. That people will quickly, over time, that we will allow ourselves to get so much a part of culture that people will look at us and we're not distinctive. And so as followers of Jesus, one of the things that should be about us is that we are a distinctiveness about being followers. That there are things that we do and don't do because of who we worship and why we worship. So the same thing was true for Daniel. It's also true for us. That's the loyalty is the first way that culture attacks us. The other way that culture attacks us is by our lifestyle. How well are we loving? And I had a conversation this week with, with a young person. And in this conversation with this young person, we were talking about segregation in particular. And, and as we were talking about segregation and that those that, people that are younger have no grasp or I can't even grasp this idea that at one point there was schools for one ethnicity and another and this, this whole thing that American culture has moved through and that we still in ways deal with. And, and um, one of the things that we began in this whole process and talk about, basically the question came up with is, especially as Christians, how could we get to a point that we could justify the fact that we could own slaves and that there could be segregation. So this whole thing. And so in reality, the question is, the root of that question is, is how could, as Christians, could we have this place of where we say that we're about loving and loving one another and we're to be known by our love? Could we, in our very actions and decisions, actually push people away and create this point of there's an us and there's a them? Because as we read the gospel and as we read about Jesus, what Jesus talks about is, is that as we begin to love people, as we begin to know people, these barriers break down. And what happens is we begin to see people, all people, as God sees them. And as we begin to do that, then those walls fall down and we don't see color. We don't see ethnicity. What we see is people made in the image of God and that they need and long for and yearn to have a relationship with Yahweh and Jesus. And so that as we grow in our love, as Christians, what actually happens for us is that there's a lot less of them and there's more of an us. Whatever that is, wherever we struggle, whatever that thing is, is that this movement, so that our lives, our culture will tell us that there should be little pockets of stuff. But what Jesus teaches us is that all of us are made in the image of God. And what does it look like for us to move into that, to love What kind of lifestyle is that? The other thing that the culture attempts to tell us to do is the way that we think. This is our worldview, the lenses by which we see the world. And so that for uh, Daniel, 
the lenses by which he was seeing the world, and he was interpreting all the things that King Nebuchadnezzar was doing, and even the education that he was getting, a great education. But the removal of the Torah, the removal of scriptural education, in some ways hindered his life. And so he's like, we have to, above and beyond, we commit, we resolve that, hey, listen, we're going to study history. We're going to study astronomy. We're going to study archaeology. We're going to study the great things that this this people bring to us. We're going to study those things, but we're not going to slough off and do away with study of Scripture and Torah. As a matter of fact, we're so resolved to know God and continue to grow in our relationship with God, we're going to study above and beyond. When all the other guys are going to the library or going to bed or doing something else, we're going to, as a group, we're going to get together and we're going to study God's Word together because this is so important for us. This is so foundational for us. This is what makes us distinctive. This is what gives our life purpose and meaning. We want this. And so again, culture attacks us at our lifestyle, but it also attacks us at our thinking. And it's easy for us in the busyness of life to give up our quiet time. It's easy for us to give up church. It's easy for us to give up life group. Those are the things that quickly push away in the busyness of life. But those are the things that are foundational for us. Daniel and his friends resolved to be distinct. They resolve to look and think and act and do and to love differently. And that's our call as followers of Jesus, to resolve to stand strong. That the easiest way, the best way for us to fight temptation is to resolve to make a decision before we get into those situations. Because each of these situations that, that Daniel and his friends were put in were situations of temptation or opportunities to step over the line of temptation into actual sin. And so they resolved beforehand the decision that was going to be made. And so when they were presented with an opportunity to make a decision, they'd already made it beforehand because they were resolved to say, listen, we're not going to cross that line because we want to be distinctive. We want to be followers of Christ. We're going to lift that up. And so along the way, they said no to the king's diet. Even though everyone else was taking it in and all of that, and they were actually better off for not partaking of the king's diet. If you look a little bit further on in Daniel chapter 1, that the chief official actually presented them to the king, and the king was like, well, these guys are healthier. Their eyes are wider. They look more vibrant. They're more dynamic. They're actually making better grades. They have more energy. Like, like maybe the king's diet's not the best diet. Maybe this diet is even better. So they began, they had freedom in that. There even came a point where the wise people and the priests of King Nebuchadnezzar's court were presented with opportunities to interpret dreams, and they couldn't come up with the answers. And so you can imagine this young guy, Daniel, who has been given the gift of interpretation of these dreams in this moment. He raises his hand in the court and says, Hey, King Nebi, I've got the answer. And how for us that there's moments in life where it seems like everyone else should have the answers. Everyone else has been a little bit further along in the faith. Everyone else has a little bit more information, a little bit whatever. And there's those opportunities for you that God has gifted you. Hey, hey, I I think I can do this. That they had the resolve to, to stand strong and to know that God had gifted them. Daniel used his gift even when it went against what others might think was wise. His friends... Daniel was off on, as these guys began to get older, they began to raise up within power and authority within the courts of King Nebuchadnezzar. And there's even a, 
a change in leadership and a change in, in nations. And even in that, they continue to begin to raise. And so there was a time in Daniel's story that he tells us that he was along, he was away doing business. And while he was away doing business, his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were put under a decree that they were to worship and bow down to, to King Nebuchadnezzar. And so these three guys said, had resolved already, if this happens, we're not going to bow down and we're not going to worship King Nebuchadnezzar in any, any other image other than Yahweh. And so that moment came where they were told to bow down before King Nebuchadnezzar and they chose not to do it. And so immediately the, the king set forth a fiery furnace and he set it there for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if you know the story that they were thrown into the, into the fire, it was the first tanning bed ever. And so they're thrown into that tanning bed. And as they're thrown into the tanning bed, several of the people that were part of the court actually burned up because of the heat. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are walking around inside of there. And people are going, what in the world? What's going on? And so finally they walked out and they walked out and they didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. Because they chose not to bow down. God raised them up and provided for them in a miraculous way. And then finally, at the end of Daniel's life, Daniel was known. He was the second in command at the end of his story, end of his life. He was second in command of the Medes and Persians. And so he's real high up. And one of the things that when you're real high up, people watch you and people observe you. So when you're a president or vice president, people are watching you, seeing what you're doing. And if you proclaim one thing, they're going to continue to watch and to see if it's real and if it's true. And so Daniel had consistently, day after day after day after day, year after year, had gone to the same place in the same room in the same window three times a day and would get down on his knees and he would pray. And he would spend time in prayer three times a day consistently, grinding it out. Even as he grew in importance, they said that it was even, he saw that it was even more important to stop business to go so that he could pray and get on his knees and just say, God, I need your help. Day after day, hour after hour. In this time. And so his people that knew him knew that if they were going to catch him doing something against the king, that that was the way to do it. Because people will be walking by and seeing Daniel pray time after time. And so they set him up. And when they set him up, there was a moment where people were around and they saw Daniel against the king's orders and against the king's decree go to his place. But he consistently went and he went before the window and he bowed down and began to pray. And people said, There he is. There's that Daniel guy who says that he's loyal to you, king. But he's bowing down to someone else and praying to someone else. And so the king, with great agony, because the king and Daniel had become good friends, the king put Daniel in the lion's den and sealed the own, sealed the, the den with his own little signet ring and began to just weep and went back to his place that night to the king's place and he began to turn over not overnight he couldn't go to sleep and because he was so distraught about his friend daniel and worried that his god wouldn't save him because the last words that daniel said to the king is don't worry about me i've got it god's got this if if god's in control if he's done with me then he'll take me if not then i'll be here in the morning and so at the break of dawn the king got up and he ran to the den and he pulled they pulled back to the the rock and there was daniel i imagine daniel was just down there just chilling out writing letters doing something Because he wasn't worried. He had no worries. So immediately Daniel was pulled out and those that had had false accusations against Daniel were thrown in and their lives were taken. The best way to fight temptation. Because we know temptation is coming. We know that those moments 
for resolve or coming. The best way to fight temptation is to decide beforehand what you're going to do when that time comes. To resolve to say that this is, I know who I am and I know my weaknesses and I know the areas that I'm most weak and the places that I'm most likely to fall. I know this is it. So I'm not going to go to this place and expect that I'm not going to trip and fall over. As a matter of fact, my boundaries are going to be here. And I'm going to set these boundaries. I'm going to resolve that these are the boundaries that I'm going to stay at because I know me and I know that I've gone to this place and I know that I've tripped and I've fallen. I know that I've messed up before, but now I've resolved that I know what that is. But I want the freedom that there is in Christ and I don't want that junk anymore. I don't want that stuff anymore. I'm resolved to stay here. Resolving means when is those decisions that you're going to make now and what are the boundaries That you're going to make now because temptation is going to come. That's not the sin. The sin is stepping over the boundary of temptation. We even know that Jesus in Matthew chapter four, he was tempted by certain things. And so for us, temptation is going to come. It's just us as we grow and mature in our faith is that we set boundaries and we resolve to say we're not going to go that place anymore. We're not going to go there anymore. We want to be distinctive. We want to look and act and think and talk and that when people see us, they see Jesus, more of Jesus in us today than in yesterday. In the first Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says it this way. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But you, when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. There's even another place in Scripture where Paul tells to Timothy, he says, listen, Timothy, you're a young man, and there's going to come opportunities where temptation is going to be before you, and you're going to be, you're going to be tempted by it. You're going to be at that moment, at the crux of the moment, where you're thinking, mm, is it? Yeah, maybe this time is going to be different. And Paul says to Timothy, look, resolve in this moment that the decision is already made that you're not going to do it. As a matter of fact, you're going to run in the opposite direction. And the same is true for us. Those times when we fall into temptation, it's because we haven't resolved. We haven't resolved that it's not what we want. We haven't resolved that it's not the better way. We haven't resolved that there's something more in it that we haven't maybe experienced. And, and what I want you to get from Daniel is this. Is that there as followers of Jesus that we're to be distinctive and different. That there are things that the world is looking at us and they're looking at the way that we think and the way that we love and the way that we do life and the way that we treat people and that we're to be distinctive in the way that we love and care for others and love and care for one another and resolve to not go down those roads that you used to go through that create fear and shame and regret and pain. Resolve before you even get there Make a decision. This is my boundary. I'm not even going to cross, even get close. This is my boundary because I desire to live life in freedom and what it means to live in freedom with Christ. What are you struggling with? What do you struggle with? Resolve it. Resolve it. Make a decision that you're not going to go down that path. What are the boundaries that you need in your life? Resolve it. What is your plan to win and have victory over the things that you struggle with. Resolve it. Set a plan, set a boundary, and resolve it and stick to it. Be courageous. Be strong and be very courageous. Resolve it. That's what God wants for you. Let's all be superheroes together. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we think of sometimes of these people in the Bible as supernatural and having something extra about them that we don't have. But Father, and the reality is that they're just normal, everyday people that were put in a position and had an opportunity to stand strong, and they did. Father, they also failed. They made huge mistakes. David murdered, committed adultery, and he's still a man after God's own heart. But, Father, that they, at some point in their walk with you, they resolved that they wanted to pursue you above anything else. That, Father, that they decided that that you're called to be strong and very courageous, to be resolute, to, to stand their ground for the faith was more important than other things. That, Father, that being a superhero in the faith means that we're just regular, ordinary people that go to work every day, that go to school, that just do the grind of life, but consistently, time after time after time, we fall on our knees before you. We open up your word. We meet in a life group. We come to church. We call another Christian friend when we're struggling. We, we just do life differently. And the Father, that through this, there's a distinctiveness about us. There's something about us that's different that draws people unto you. And that people can, can look at these regular, ordinary people like us and say, I want what you have. And we can say, it's just Jesus. It's just me pursuing Jesus every day. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. I think the cool thing about Daniel's, the end of Daniel's story about the lion's den, is in that moment, obviously the king was fearful that his best friend was going to die. But at that moment that Daniel was there and he was alive, he, he issued a decree to the entire nation, Daniel's God. The God that saved Daniel from the mouth of the lions, that is the God. I know that I've told you before that Baal and and, and Marduk and all these others, all these other gods that we've worshipped, I know that we've set up temples and we've worshipped all these other gods, but I want you to know that I don't know any other God but Daniel's God that would do the miracle that happened to Daniel's life. And that's our story. That's your story is that The God of Daniel is your God. And that other people around us would tell us that this is going to provide for you and this is going to provide for you. And they're setting up altars and they're worshiping all this other stuff. But Daniel's God is your God, is a follower of Christ. And there are moments in life that you are going to have to be resolute and stand strong. And that in that moment, God will provide a miracle. And in that, people will say, I want to know your God. And it's that day in and day out consistency in pursuing God and in pursuing Jesus. We're regular people, just like Daniel, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Fight the good fight day in and day out. And when the miracles come, when the opportunities come, tell the story that your God is just the same as Daniel's God.